Hey friends, you're listening to Changing the Conversation, a podcast by African Leadership and the Mocha Club, where we take time to sit down and explore topics to challenge our perspective in pursuit of better loving people and the world around us. Hey, this is Emily. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast of Changing the Conversation. We were really fortunate to get to spend some time with Jeremy Cowart, who is a dear friend um, to African Leadership and the Mocha Club. And on today's conversation, we are taking a look at fear and what it looks like to um, use fear or push past fear to create beauty and change in the world, always considering how we leverage who we are and how fear can be one of the ways to create and spark and change and grow us. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation. We really appreciate you taking the time. You've been super busy lately, right? Yeah, I have. I have not been busy. It seems like for like two years, and suddenly (laughs) I'm in a really busy season where I'm kind of trying to do everything at once all of a sudden. Yes, Mm -hmm. and like uh, professionally and personally and everything. I feel like your whole life has radically changed. Yes, it has. Four children will do that for you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Every single night is some sport or another. We have all four children in various sports. So two in flag football, three in soccer, getting something else. Yeah, it, it's pretty wow. maddening. <laughs> okay, what are their ages now? Like Adler's how old? Adler's 13, Isaac's no. 11, Eli 8, Ebby 6. I'm sorry, Ebby 7. Wow. Holy cow. Sounds fun, though. Yeah. Hey, what was it like to go from two to four? Insane. <laughs> well, we went from two to four from biological to adoption. So obviously yeah, yours adoption, is... yeah, adoption comes with a lot more than just two to four. We're um, moving from one to three. Are you really? Yeah, in a couple months. So Rob's beginning to, beginning to panic. He's like, oh my gosh, what do you do with two babies? I'm like, I don't know. I think they eat and sleep. That is poop. amazing. Congrats. Thanks. It'll be in a, quite an adventure. But <laughs> when I remembered you were going to be on the podcast, I was like, oh, yes. Other people do this, too. They just kind of throw, get thrown in the deep end. Exactly. You just do it one day at a time. You figure it out. Um, well, thanks for taking some time and, and hanging out with us today. Paint us a little bit of Jeremy Cowart. What are you doing these days? Who are you? What are you passionate about? Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on, um, you know, for gosh, seven years now, we've been inching towards this, uh, purpose hotel idea. I mm-hmm. had the idea in 2012 and then I did nothing for three years cause it was such a ginormous idea. So I did nothing. And then 2015 kind of found the, the nerves to start, you know, pushing forward. And so we launched a Kickstarter in 2016 and have now been working on it actively for three years. And, uh, yeah, it's exciting now because we have land and management and architects and designers and mm-hmm. so many people on board. And uh, But it's still a very long journey. In fact, I don't think we'll open a building until three more, three more years. Wow. So from the idea to when we open a building, it's a 10-year journey. It's like significant uh, staying power right there. That is. Were you like sitting in a hotel room and this idea came to your mind? Or I'm curious. Uh, to know. Yeah, kind of. I was on a photo shoot in Los Angeles uh, and I was walking through a hotel for our meeting. Mm-hmm. And it was while I walked through the hotel that I literally, the whole idea hit me at once. Um, the first idea was what if every room sponsored a child and told their story? 
And then it was, oh, the room keys could connect to the giving keys. Mm -hmm. And then it was the artwork and soaps and shampoos and linen. So, yeah, it all kind of struck me at the same time in the same moment in a hotel. Wow. That's That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. So you've got this hotel that's been brewing for a season. What else is preoccupies your time and attention? Yeah, I do a lot of public speaking. So travel. I've been traveling around for about three years, sharing my story, the story I called "I'm Possible," which then, at some point, an agent discovered that and she's like, "Hey, this should be a book." And then she went <laughs> and pitched it to uh, Harper Collins, and now it's a book. And uh, the book comes out April sixteenth. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm ramping up for that. We do a book tour. I mean, there has been no mention of a book tour, so not that I'm aware of. I mean, just by the nature of the speaking that I do mm-hmm. and I'm doing, that's kind of a book tour, I guess you could say. What's your kind of tagline for the book, I'm Possible? Yeah, the subtitle is uh, Jumping into Fear and Discovering a Life of Purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the idea is kind of not only facing your fears, but actively jumping into them, pursuing them. Um which is hard to do, obviously, yeah. um, but I think it's really important. And so, so, yeah, the book, and then I'm doing a book release party here in my studio in Franklin, Tennessee in April. So it'll be a book release party slash art show because I've been doing a lot of fine art hmm. aside and trying to kind of stepping away from photography uh, in a pretty big way, which is uh, another long story. I guess that's a, an entire podcast. We could talk about that, <laughs> but... Yeah, moving away from photography more into my own art and, uh, you know, pursuing the traditional world of fine art and galleries and selling directly to people, all that good stuff. Wow, that's really cool. Okay, so start us at the beginning. Before you were doing fine art and purpose hotels and books and speaking, Photography was kind of one of your jumping off points. How did you get into that? Has it always been a passion point for you? Well, it really did start with fine art first. Um, that's what I wanted to mm. be and wanted to do, wanted to be a painter. Hmm. And I think my parents were afraid of me making a living, so they told me about <laughs> you know <laughs> this thing called graphic design. And uh, that was <laughs> right before college. And so I decided to study graphic design and try that. And I kind of fell in love with it, fell in love with Photoshop and what all computers could do. And Mm. so that started about, well, started a very long detour, but ended up being seven years of a design journey. And then, you know, once I discovered digital cameras, jumped into the world of photography and did that for 14 years, you know. So it's always Mm. been art, just different forms of art. And right now I'm kind of returning back to, to square one, which was the fun art, which is where my original passion really was. That's Were really you nice. super creative even as a child? Not until seventh grade. I took my first art class, and that's kind of when I realized that I was good at something because I did not excel in anything else, you know, mm-hmm. any other yep. uh, classes or, you know, I just always felt like I was stupid. And so mm-hmm. definitely my first art class, I at least... It's not like I was a genius or anything. I just, you know, I did a little better than everybody else, and I was really focused, and, uh, you know, it just at least was that seed, you know, that Mm -hmm. I think every kid has has at some point where I was like, oh, okay, this is something I enjoy and that I'm good at. Hmm. Yeah. And so you did you do that then 
kind of continued to pursue art and stuff in high school? Yeah, basically all things creative arts. So I was okay. actively involved in, you know, drama. I was the lead in our school plays. I was like singing in all the chorus and choir stuff. I was doing the art classes. All things creative was kind of my high school experience. Wow. And college. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Uh, MTSU. Oh, yeah. Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not too far. Yeah. Well, that's so great. Okay, so then at some point after graphic design, you picked up your digital camera, and that kind of changed a a lot of what your trajectory became. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that certainly changed everything in terms of learning computers and technology. And um, it's crazy that I was so Mm -hmm. terrified of technology, and now I use it to a pretty extreme degree on a daily basis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as I stand there in front of a plethora of gear <laughs> yeah. as, we, as we speak, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. When you think about the idea of I'm possible and this jumping from fear into what that can offer you in, in your world, what are some of the highlights of that in your own story? Is technology one of those places where you go, man, I was just so terrified didn't know what it would be, or where where do you feel like you stood in your fear and decided to jump anyway? Yeah, it's really all of it. I mean, yeah, I was terrified of computers, but I went ahead and decided to learn them. I was really terrified of photography. I made a D in photography in college. No I nearly way. failed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I, um, yeah, I nearly failed my only photography class. Uh, I was really scared of just all the Technical stuff, the apertures, shutter speeds, ISO, mm-hmm. white balance, all that stuff just seemed like like a foreign language. And so I was terrified of that, but went ahead and, you know, did it. The hotel I spent three years in fear of, mm-hmm. you know, it's just how does a freelance artist go and build a multi-hundred million dollar building, you know? Mm-hmm. That was uh, extremely daunting, but we're, we're doing it, you know, we're jumping into it. And then the fun art stuff is really terrifying because... It's easy for me as a commercial artist to execute other people's ideas and vision, but it's hard when it comes to my own. It's like, okay, now it's just me. Like, what do I have to say? So, Mm. yeah, truly all of it is scary. Mm. And so I've just found that it's much more rewarding to jump into it and figure it out than it is to just give up and throw in the towel. What does that look like for you to step into that place of fear? Is it like a quick pep talk or is it kind of like blindly like, I'm just going to do it, you know, like kind of uh, not acknowledging the fear? What does that process look like? Yeah, the thing is faking it until you make it. You just jump (laughs) in one day at a time, one small step forward and just start figuring it out. You know, Um, there's a book called uh, The War of Art that people told me to read for 10 years and I didn't. I literally had it on my nightstand for a decade without reading it. And then I just recently read that book, and it was um, pretty life-changing, especially as an artist, because it um, it talks about what we're talking about, which is the resistance, the resistance being the things that keep you from doing the work you're most meant to do. Hmm. So that book has really changed me for the better. The resistance is going to be there every morning, at 9 a.m. You know, fear right. and insecurity is not something that you defeat. <laughs> it's always there and you always, I mean, you have to defeat it every day. You have to show up and, you know, do the thing that you're afraid of that you know you have to do. So, yeah, that book has been really, really helpful for me. 
That's exciting. I'll have to add it to my list. Yes, me too. How did you first hear about Mocha Club? And was it, I mean, obviously I'm assuming it's through Barrett. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, you know, I went to college with Dave Barnes. And mm-hmm. So we were buddies. And then I'll never forget the time he came into my apartment. It's like, dude, you have to hear this guy play. He's so good. And I was like, awesome. What's his name? He's like, Matt Work. <laughs> He's just amazing, you know. And so Dave and Matt and I and Micah Kandros and uh, several others were all just really tight, really good friends um, in college and right after college. And uh, somewhere along the way, so one of us met Barrett. I can't remember who. <laughs> and so Barrett just became part of our friend group. You know, mm-hmm. we all just did a lot together. I mean, even like vacations together. We were, right. you know, just had this group that was really tight there for a long time mm-hmm. before all of us got married and started having children. But uh, yeah, so Barrett just kind of came into our friend group, and that's how we got connected. So then as Barrett's life kind of took this drastic turn, and he left his full-time position and for-profit world to join the nonprofit world and start dreaming, he created Mocha, and you ended up on a trip? Yeah, it was Barrett that first asked me. He was like, hey, would you want to go to Africa and take some pictures? And I was like, what? Because it was just... <laughs> It was April of 2005 that I decided to become a photographer and hmm. stop designing. And it was May of 2005 that Barrett asked me to go to Africa. No way. Wow. So it was literally four weeks <laughs> into me having really taken photography seriously that Barrett asked me to go. And so I was like, uh, sure, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll go. Yeah, I mean, it was right out of the gates. And in between those four weeks, what were you shooting? Was it weddings or artists or what did that? Um, It was whatever. Yeah, I don't remember that month specifically. But yeah, it it had been a bunch of artists and probably some weddings too in there. Yeah. uh, Whatever would come to my door. Mm -hmm. Love it. What was that first trip like for you? Had you been out of the country before? I think I'd been out of the country, but not to Africa. Okay. Not, Not to a third world country. Okay. So you get on a plane with your new honed photography skills to head to Africa. What was that like for you? What was the experience like? I mean, it was, <laughs> as you all know, I mean, those first trips are pretty mind-blowing and culture shock and, um, mm-hmm. you know, all the typical things you experience. It was uh, hard and beautiful and, and tragic and uh, just kind of life-altering. I remember at some point on that first trip, somebody said, um, if you go to Africa with a hard heart, you'll come back with a soft heart. If you go with a mm-hmm. soft heart, you'll come back with a broken heart. And if you go, go with a broken heart, you'll never come back. And so mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I came back with a broken heart, and that broken heart has informed everything I've done since. So even on the hotel front, you know, I don't know that the purpose hotel would be getting started if it weren't for that first trip to Africa. Maybe not one experience, but what was it that broke your heart? I mean, all of it, you know, just just seeing third world poverty firsthand, seeing people carry water on their heads for miles and people living with nothing yet having, you know, so much joy in their lives and um, the, the disease, the lack of infrastructure, lack of education, lack of clean water, lack of food, lack of everything. Yeah. 
I remember seeing a lot of those photos that y'all brought back, which I would have never guessed you'd been doing this for four weeks at that point. But I think what I loved about the images that you've captured for us have always been the way you've captured beauty. What does that look like for you through the eye of a camera or through now using your own hand to design? How, how does beauty play into the work that you create? I mean, that's just your job as a photographer, you know, is to find the beauty or to create beauty out of nothing, you know, is to to have the eye that a lot of those situations are not uh, aesthetically beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful. The people are beautiful and you know, many of the scenes can be beautiful, but then you're in a dark room and a mud hut and there's nothing beautiful about it. You know, you're surrounded by bugs and cow dung and, you know, who knows mm-hmm. what else. Um, but yeah, it's my job as the photographer to figure out how to tell that story and find the beauty in the situation. Do you remember on that first trip to Africa when you were shooting in the midst of the brokenness that you saw and were experiencing, where was the beauty in that brokenness that you also captured you know i mean a lot of people talk about it but it's like how, how are these people so physically beautiful but more importantly their souls they're just mm-hmm. so uh, warm and welcoming and seem so happy if not happier than most americans you mm-hmm. know to experience that joy and gratitude and humility firsthand is uh is definitely uh shocking here in, here in America, we have, you know, so much material stuff, but we're, we're no more happy, you know, mm-hmm. because of it. And so I'd say that's, that's the beauty and the brokenness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been struck by the vulnerability of it. I think a conversation we've been having at our house is this idea of brokenness and need and vulnerability. And I heard someone say once, vulnerability is to speak openly about what is hard for you and to be vulnerable is the most courageous thing you can do as a being. Mm-hmm. And I think it just seems so natural in places that experience extreme poverty. There is no way to hide all the broken, all the needy, all the hard. And so what I find really inviting and captivating in those places is their vulnerability. And it just creates space to see people differently. It creates space to see opportunity differently because it's so courageous. I want to be like that. And I don't find that very often in Brentwood. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. You have continued to um, support African leadership in the Mocha Club for the last several years, and you've always been such a dear friend um, to the organization. What are some of the reasons you've chosen to do that? I mean, it just seems obvious. It's where my journey started with Mm. humanitarian work. I obviously love y'all's mission and the work you do. I've seen it firsthand on on that occasion, which was a very long occasion, that was mm-hmm. a week, so, you know, immersed in Deal's work. And then, you know, and so, it, I don't know, it's just where it all started for me. I think what I've loved about watching you over the last several years is that you've said to me before, you know, that trip was pretty impactful for you and and how it kind of opened your eyes, but also kind of sparked maybe a curiosity around what do I do or how can I leverage who I am? Then then you came home and started lots of other things. Long before Purpose Hotel or a book, there was in, in and amongst the speaking and the photography were um, like 
help portrait. Like you have you've done a lot of different things. The school. Can you talk about some of those things? How did you come out of a trip and decide to leverage who you were and the skill set that you had? Yeah, it's kind of a, a long realization and really it's kind of what the book is about. Um, in the meantime, I was shooting a lot of celebrity work and stuff out in Hollywood and New York. I just realized that work wasn't fulfilling, you know, at the end of my life. I want to be talking about the things I did to help people and how I used my knowledge and talent, not who I shot. And so yeah, it was kind of this realization as I look back on the Africa trip, I was just like, I was like, I want to do more of that type of work. And so, um, yeah, that realization really led to a lot of other projects and ideas. And in the book, I talk about how ideas lead to ideas. Now, mm-hmm. if you say no to that first idea, you might be saying no to idea 20, you know, right. ideas for years and years. And so, yeah, the Africa trip was definitely a big idea, number one, uh, in terms of the book we did. And so, yeah, a lot rooted out of that. It's so interesting to me. I feel like our culture, at least I was raised in a world where something about getting to adulthood felt like the end of the race. Like once I'm an adult, then I just um, maintain life, you know, whatever that is. It's what my seven-year-old brain could hold as I was a child, you know. But mm-hmm. I think something I wasn't aware of until I got out of college was this idea of continually adapting and continually changing and growing. I still run into so many students on college campuses that are petrified of graduating and being stuck in um, a job or an industry, and they they can't see their perfect dream job. And it's hard to spark curiosity or encourage their flame of, like, just try something, and that'll lead to something else, and then that leads mm-hmm. to something else, and and then you end up doing things you said you would never do, and that only opens different doors, and it kind of sounds like that's the, kind of the theme of your book and your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you're going to, even if you fail, you're just going to learn so much, because right. um, I've done a lot of really big projects that went nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've spent four years building a social network and you know ultimately failed and so i learned so much about Mm -hmm. team building and community and software development Mm -hmm. technology and apps and that is now informing me in the hotel that we're building Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. even though the app didn't make it it's you know we're building a purpose hotel app and you know so much else on the hotel front that will uh, benefit from that failure yeah. It's hard to sit on the front end of those stories and think, how do you encourage or how do you press people to jump, to try? Yeah. What does that look like for you with your kids? You know, essentially just encouraging them all the time, reminding them of my story and reminding them of Philippians 4.13, like my dad did to me. Um, mm-hmm. But just more importantly, just supporting them, supporting their ideas and Telling them that something is awesome when they show me, you know, want my feedback and uh, just being there for them as much as I can be. How do you encourage either people that you run into or at, at speaking engagements or, or your family? How do you encourage failure? Like, how do you say this isn't what it's been made to be in our culture, that failure means should bring shame and all these other elements, but failure is this, like you said, this tool that launches you into other things. 
I mean, that's it. That's exactly what I tell them. Um, you know, what I, what I was just talking about, you just, you're going to learn so much from failure. And I think the other thing too is, you know, people have so much fear of embarrassment. None of us want to fail in front of other people. We don't want people to see our failures. This culture is built on success. And so there's definitely a humility that you have to have. I don't know. I, I don't get embarrassed easily. And so I'm okay mm-hmm. to fail publicly. I'm okay if, you know, people, yeah, if people <laughs> laugh or whatever. I, I just don't care. You know, this morning I went to the gym D1, and uh, it's very much the same thing because I'm by far the weakest man in that gym. You know, guys mm-hmm. are lifting three and four times what I'm lifting. It's actually quite embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but I kind of love it. You know, it's like humility lessons. I just mm-hmm. I really don't care as long as I'm showing up and I'm, you know, failing in comparison to them. But I'm, I'm lifting a little bit and I'm getting a little bit stronger each time. And, you know, it, on a small scale, it's a good comparison because you just got to tune that out, tune the comparison right. out and just keep showing up. Hmm. Has that always been part of your personality or is that something you had to learn through a certain season? Uh, or? I mean, obviously it, it was harder when I was younger, but it's hmm. grown over time. The, the ability to just not care and, and yeah. kind of go for it no matter what people think. Hmm. I mean, our first Kickstarter field, we tried for a $2 million goal. We, you know, we launched the biggest and we, we went as big and far as we could uh, reaching out to every influencer new and celebrity I knew and uh, it failed you know um, mm-hmm. we didn't even reach half our goal and so we got zero dollars from that but we still learned a ton and went kind of viral through that and so we relaunched it immediately with a much lower goal and still raised about the same amount of money you know and so um, and I had so many people that have told me that they learned from just watching that you know mm-hmm. And just get back up and do it again. Yeah. Seeing other people do it kind of gives you permission to maybe try it yourself and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So I was on the website for your I'm Possible book and there's a quote that says, anything is possible when we actively engage our potential to make the world a better place. Will you just tell me a little bit more about that? I feel like that's really powerful. Yeah, I mean, I always know which ideas to pursue when it's the ones that are really going to make, you know, a dent, a dent for the better in society, helpful in some way or good for culture in some way, that give back in some way. And so, and those are the ones that my wife, Shannon, ends up encouraging me to pursue mm-hmm. as well. So, We talk a lot about that with our younger audience in the Mocha Club world of just what does it look like to leverage who you are? And that doesn't necessarily mean you are standing in Africa front lines doing something or that you are stroking a big check. I think it's the beauty of this group of donors that gives what they can and leverages who they are for something bigger than themselves. And so your book is just kind of like right in our alley. Sweet spot. We love it. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for writing it. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) We're getting ready to kind of totally revamp African leadership and the Mocha Club and kind of really do our best to kind of showcase that idea that the reason we're all playing a part is that we all have a seat at this table of actively building a better world, whether you are a 20-something in Colorado or you are 
um, a, a student enrolled in a class in Africa or you're a, a major giver somewhere in the world, like how do you see like this idea of us being a larger community, all leveraging towards a goal? When you think about network and um, social networks and things like that, how valuable is the idea of community in actively building a better world? I've always been a huge uh, fan and proponent of community. Even before social media, I was a bit of a a herder. I love to herd people together mm -hmm. for various causes and ideas. I started something called the 615, gosh, before social media existed, where it was like a community of like 300 designers and creative people that would get together and email. But I mean, it was literally social media before social media because we would be on an email list together and we would email all day, every day. It's amazing. Like hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of emails. It's basically Twitter. Oh my gosh. But, but via email, we were just exchanging thoughts and work and random whatever, you know, just all day long. I don't even know how we got any work done. But um, <laughs> So community has always been huge for me um, from the beginning. And it's um, I'm trying to circle back around to because mm -hmm. now, when, now that I'm older, I'm kind of more of a private, quiet type. I, I work in a studio by myself all day long, so I'm alone all day long, but I love it. Mm -hmm. But I have this big space in Franklin where I'm trying to turn it into more of a, a public space. In fact, I'm doing my very first event April 16th through the 18th here in my studio. Um, so it'll be a free art show, Fine. public, you know, book release party. Um, and I'm excited about that to start reengaging the community around, uh, you know, in my space. Mm, that's awesome. No, I'm just grateful for your time, Jeremy. I appreciate all the ways you've continue to just press into new spaces and places. And, um, you know, our, our podcast is called Changing the Conversation. And you're one of those people that I think of when I think about this. Maybe what seems like very normal everyday topics or conversations that ultimately are life-altering decisions that people choose or don't choose to make. And so just looking at different everyday conversation, but looking to poke at it and consider something different. And so looking with you at the idea of fear and um, pushing past it and through it and, and the beauty that can get created out of it. It's just really exciting. Grateful for your time today. Yeah, of course. Thank you all for having me. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we'll be in touch. Please say hi to um, your family and tell Shannon I said hello. Will do. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Have Thanks, a great day. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining in on this conversation with Emily and I and Jeremy. Um, I feel inspired walking away from that conversation. I hope you do, too. As always, follow us on social media at Mocha Club and at African Leadership. And if you wouldn't mind, just heading over to Apple iTunes and leaving us a review, leaving us a rating. That would be super helpful moving forward for us. Y'all, don't let fear stop you. Go ahead and do those great things in life that's going to make a big impact in the world. We're excited to see what you have in store. 